Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. When you rely on the internet for everything, you need speed that can handle anything. Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible X-Fi gateway. Actual speeds vary, not guaranteed. your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast, sponsored by SeatGeek, the best way to buy Chicago White Sox tickets. Save $10 off by using promo code MACHINE on all MLB purchases in the month of May. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and this week's show will be joined by our best friend of the podcast, Dan Zaborski. Dan will share what the latest Zips projections are for the Chicago White Sox, if it's time for Lucas Giolito to be sent down to AAA, which teams are serious contenders as we approach the first quarter mark of 2018, and what is the most likely World Series matchup. We'll recap the week that was in the minor leagues and answer your questions in P.O. Sox. Jim is off today as he traveled down to North Carolina to see the White Sox minor league affiliates. You can read about his findings on SoxMachine.com as he got a chance to see Charlotte, Winston-Salem, and Kannapolis play this weekend. Flying solo does give me an opportunity to get something off my chest as the Chicago White Sox are off to their worst start in franchise history. Man, for a team that's been around since 1901, that's a heavy thing to say. Worst start in team history. It's frustrating. You've been hearing me complain about the bullpen not doing their job this past week holding leads, specifically veterans like Nate Jones and Joaquin Soria. And what happened on Sunday? The bullpen was good. They picked it up from Lucas Giolito, who surprisingly lasted as long as he did. And the White Sox won a game at Wrigley Field, which even though they lost the series, it's still a big success for how poorly this team has been playing recently. And I've noticed it's not just me being frustrated. It's also some of you that are listening to this, taking it to the comment section at SoxMachine.com or your Facebook posts or the Twitter exchanges. For those that are feeling frustrated, you've been getting some pushback from fans and media telling you that this is what a rebuild looks like. 
that the Houston Astros and Chicago Cubs went through the same thing. So this is normal. Everyone should stop panicking. And what were you expecting from this year? Well, both sides are right. Yes, this is a rebuilding team. They are going to play poorly, and probably three quarters of the current roster is not going to be on the 25-man when this team is good again. Their prospects becoming everyday major leaguers are going to go through their bumps and bruises. They're going to suck one day and hopefully be better the next time out. Or they may suck all year and then surprise us next year. I mean, hell, look at Matt Davidson. He's pulling a 2017 Abasil Garcia at the moment. Complete turnaround. So, White Sox fans, be patient. But asking patience from this fan base is a tall order. It's been six years since the White Sox had a winning record. Honestly, it may not be until 2020 before this team sniffs a winning record. For those that have pulled out their soapboxes or deeming themselves a director morale of the fan base, would tell you that's fine. It's all part of the plan. Well then, why should fans buy season tickets? Why should fans go to games? You're telling me this team could suck for the rest of this year and next, so should I check out and come back in 2020? Because this rebuild is for certain going to work, right? Oh, that's right. This rebuild is being led by the same guy who failed to build a winning team around Chris Sale, Jose Quintana, Adam Eaton, Jose Abreu, Todd Frazier, David Robertson, and Tommy Canely. White Sox fans have the right to be skeptical and feel very frustrated on what has transpired in 2018. And it's not just fans. You could hear it in manager Rick Renteria's voice when he does post-game interviews. There are more sighs before he answers questions. While those that try to tell fans that this is a rebuild and you must be patient, tell that to the guys in the field. The current 25-man roster is trying to win every single day, and eventually, this losing is going to get to them. It got to Chris Sale. It made him snap and cut up a bunch of uniforms. These are human beings. Nobody wants to lose. Nobody wants to hear that your team is off to the worst start in franchise history. In the 117 years of the White Sox, this is the worst start ever. Which is why the message is not be patient. No, that's not fair to the fans who spend a lot of money going to games and living day in and day out with this team. That's most of you that listen to this podcast weekly or every day. You love this team and they are part of your life. Those players on the field, I mean, some of them are fighting for their careers. We don't have a crystal ball that can look into the future and see what every possible outcome there will be. There's no reason to trust that this plan is going to work just because it worked for two other teams. You know what the Cubs and Astros do that the White Sox don't? Psst, spend a lot of money. Money that the White Sox haven't proved they are willing to spend. Because again, they only spend money that they make. Well, look at the attendance numbers. You think this franchise is going to have the means to outspend the heavy hitters in December for the greatest free agency class that this league has ever seen? No, what we are going through, White Sox fans, is rock bottom. This is what rock bottom feels like. So far down the hole, you can't see the light. You have no idea how this team is going to climb itself out of this, but it can't get any worse. They are already the worst team in the major leagues. You can't get any worse than worst. And there's some solace accepting that. 
I felt a weight off my shoulders. We never knew how bad things can be, but now, man, we do. What a time to be alive. Best thing about reaching rock bottom is that it can only go up from here, which means the positives, like Sunday's win, are going to taste a little bit sweeter because now we have accepted wins are going to be very few and far in between. Then when they get on a roll, it's going to be more exciting. Do we need to adjust our goals and what the White Sox can do this season? Yup. I thought this team could win 73 games. But in order to do that, they got to go 63 and 62 the rest of the season. One game above 500 over a 125 game stretch? That's not happening. Is this rebuild plan going to work? I've got no clue. Maybe? If it depends on Rick Hahn's luck? Probably not. I watch podcasts and write about this team because I love the White Sox and this sport. I know some of you feel the same way. Others don't, and they are not as invested into this franchise as you and I, or they may not want to personally be invested in a crappy product. I can't blame them, and I can't blame the fans that are frustrated and venting on social media about it. And those that try to tell those fans to be patient, that's not a hill you're climbing. That's a seaside cliff. I hope for those that listen and follow us on Sox Machine, stick around. Even if the White Sox suck for the next decade, at least we'll have each other. And when that losing monkey finally gets off this team's back, it's going to be a great feeling. Who knows, maybe we'll get to experience 2005 all over again. And one day, we'll browse through the 2018 season on Baseball Reference and tell ourselves, man, what a dumpster fire that season was. Because watching this team climb out of rock bottom and feel their excitement when they get it figured out, if ever, is going to be that much cooler. So hang in there, fellow White Sox fans. If there is one thing that I have learned is that misery loves company and all of you are good company. Before we talk to Dan, a quick word from one of our sponsors, SeatGeek. Buying tickets can be complicated and confusing, but there is a better way to buy with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every type of live event. Whether you're searching for a last-minute deal, planning a night out with friends, or need to find the perfect gift, SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There's nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. I have the SeatGeek app on my smartphone, and I find it to be the easiest way and the only way that I use to buy Chicago White Sox tickets. I just snagged four tickets for August 11th, which is Jim Tomey bobblehead day. Obviously a big moment is Jim Tomey is going to the Hall of Fame, and I saw just a terrific deal for that game on August 11th where I used SeatGeek's deal score to get me four tickets for $48 in Section 531 in Row 5. So I'm not that far up. But I'm right behind home plate, and I'll be one of the first 20,000 fans to snag a Jim Tomey bobblehead. Best of all, Sox Machine listeners get $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase by downloading the SeatGeek app and enter promo code SOXMACHINE. So that's promo code SOXMACHINE for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. And also, SeatGeek has a special offer for all Major League Baseball purchasers not just first-timers. You can use promo code MACHINE 
for $10 off Major League Baseball tickets. That's promo code MACHINE for $10 off Major League Baseball tickets. Or you can go ahead and use promo code SOXMACHINE if you haven't used SeatGeek yet for $20 off your first purchase. Later this week, Major League Baseball will complete the first quarter of 2018. While we can still say it's early and that there will be much shifting within the divisions, some teams are off to such great starts that we could think about the postseason for them. And other teams, like the White Sox, we can start contemplating where in the top five they'll draft in 2019. What do the projections look like for the rest of 2018? Well, joining us is our best friend of the podcast to share his thoughts about the season so far. He writes for ESPN.com. It's Dan Zaborski. And hello, Dan. Thanks for coming back on the show. Hey, Josh. Thanks for having me. How are you doing today? I am doing as well as I can be. If I'm not thinking about the White Sox, if I'm thinking about the Winston-Salem Dash and the Canapolis Intimidators and the Birmingham Barons, then it's fun to be a baseball fan, Dan. Uh, well, you know I'm from Baltimore, so yeah. if, if you could choose an organization to root for, would you really take uh, the Orioles over the White Sox? Not at this moment. I guess you make a good point. <laughs> not, at, not at this point in time. Not today. Well, I do have a feeling I'm going to regret asking this, but as we stand, what is Zips projecting the White Sox final record to be in 2018? Well, it, it, it's been it, it jumps around a little bit depending on you know what, what's going on. Uh, I'm just it generally has them in the 60s. It doesn't actually have any team more likely to lose 100 games than not. Now, obviously, at least one team will because some team will underperform. You know their mean projection, but it's I mean if if that's like a a, a silver lining, then then take it. Uh, Red Sox are at 64 and 98 right now as the projection, <laughs> but that still means. More likely, fewer than 100 losses than more than. So, and, you know, number one pick. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, would they be the number one pick? Actually, uh, they're still behind in the number one pick percentages behind the Royals and the Reds. Okay. So pick number three is what they're currently pacing at. Okay. Yeah. The average pick is 3.6. <laughs> well, they there, have pick there's four. There's several really... I mean, there are a lot of bleak teams right now. That 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 there are a lot of contenders for that number one pick. Uh, I mean, you had the White Sox, the Royals, the Orioles, the Marlins, the Reds. Uh, you could probably throw the Tigers in there, but they've probably wouldn't. They've been they've been a little too competent to possibly <laughs> fall back. Accidentally, of course. Of course. Well, somebody's uh, got to win games. I mean, when those three teams play as often as they have, the Tigers, Royals, and White Sox, to start the year. I mean, someone's got to win those games. You don't have ties in baseball. Yeah, unless some weird decision. You say you say there's no ties in baseball, and ties in baseball sound terrible. But you know what really sounds terrible? Starting the extra innings with a man on second base. <laughs> You're not a fan, are you? No. <laughs> it's weird to watch. It is weird it, to watch. It, it's just strange. How would you evaluate the White Sox to date as far as the season? Because last time we spoke, we talked about preseason numbers, and I thought Vegas was a little bit low with their win-loss over-under with the White Sox at 66.5. And And I thought, wow, that's a slam dunk. Go over on that. Easy money. And now I am regretting that and uh, jealous of those that took the under. Uh, I guess from your perspective, Dan, how would you evaluate the White Sox so far? 
Well, they're generally doing what they need to. They weren't supposed to be a good team this year. So in a way, I mean, it's not like a disappointment. I mean, I didn't think the Orioles were going to be good, but a lot of people did. And in, in that kind of context, you say, hey, the Orioles are disappointing. But what the White Sox are doing is they're they're looking at a lot of players. They're not, I mean, they're not rushing their prospects. So there's no necessary. There's no desperate need to rush people up. There's just it's just not a something you want to start doing the service clock on because that that service time is important for money reason. There's always going to be money in baseball, so it's it's not going away. Uh, but they're doing a good job not bringing in like a bunch of say marginal veterans to kind of block not the prospects but some of the interesting guys. Uh, like I think of Matt Davidson. Uh, looking at last season, he he wasn't a good hitter last season. But I'd rather have a 27-year-old who didn't have a good season in 2017 than an okay 32-year-old taking that spot. Because sometimes Matt Davidson's will work out. And it's it's still pretty early, but he's hitting with a lot of power. Uh, he's, he's getting on base a lot more than he did in 2017. So if the White Sox had, had done that, it's a small thing. But now they have a guy who says, hey, you know, he might actually be, say, a role player on the next good White Sox team. And that's the kind of thing that they need to do, that they are doing, and they had them successfully. Uh, I know it's weird to say a team that is 9-25 having a successful season, but they are because the rebuilding process is still on track. Uh, the team still looks like they're going to be good in a couple of years. Uh, so it's, it's a stay-the-course type of thing. The, the worst thing now would be to panic. Well, I think for White Sox fans, there is some frustration because – while I do agree with you, this is part of the rebuild, and you know, my partner Jim Margulis said at the beginning of the year that this is going to be the worst stretch of the rebuild. Year number two is always the worst for fans to going through it because there are such growing pains. But when the young players do play well, and then you have guys like Joaquin Soria and Nate Jones not able to hold three-plus run leads and blow them, then I can understand where fans are frustrated rather than being disappointed. But what's also not helping right now is that White Sox fans are very unsure about the futures of Carson Fulmer and Lucas Giolito as they are going through some bumps in the road early on. Ronaldo Lopez might be getting lucky with all the hard contact that he's allowing. But right now, it's probably better to be lucky than good, so hopefully he can continue to have that good luck going with him. But with Fulmer and Giolito, Dan... Do you think that these two will bounce back even for this year or in the future? Well, Fulmer, I've always been kind of hot and cold on at times. Uh, I, I never quite liked him as much as some other people did, so he, it's not a major surprise. I mean, he's he, he's having some rocky moments. He's not really horrible. I mean, there's bad and there's bad, bad. Like like what Dylan Bundy did against the Royals the other day, that was bad, bad. <laughs> uh, now, Giolito is a lot more concerning because his command has just been incredibly spotty. Uh, I don't know what's going on with him. He he pitches uh, like a pitcher who's injured. Uh, just his he doesn't seem to have really command of any of his pitches. I mean you I mean anyone watching this can kind of attest to that. That it's not just that he's having bad results. He's it's just nothing seems to be doing what it's supposed to be doing. So I don't know what's going on with him. Uh, I think he is someone who who probably needs to be back in the minors to see what is wrong uh, because it's, 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 it's a little too rough in the majors for him right now. That was actually a question that we did get from one of our Patreon listeners is, would you consider Lucas Giolito to be sent down to AAA? And it sounds like you would entertain the idea, Dan. I, 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 you'd have to at this point. I mean, I'll go back to last season. He wasn't stunning or anything. I mean, the ER was a lot was better than he actually pitched and he was 
pretty susceptible to the home run, but I mean, a lot of young pitchers are, but he just looks, it's just his, again, his command, his control, they're just kind of just terrible. I don't know. I try to think of a nice way to put it, but he just doesn't have a clue out there right now. Uh, you, you just watch him on the mound. It's, it's almost like he's throwing like a home run derby. Uh, I, I think that having him just getting his confidence back, I mean, getting triple A batters out for a couple months, if he does that, he comes right back up and then hopefully no problem. So, I'd have to consider definitely. I, I I'm more open generally to demoting young pitchers that have trouble than young hitters, because hmm. uh, pitching is kind of just this dark art. See, hitting science, pitching is a dark, mysterious <laughs> black magic. So that's Lucas Giolito, and for White Sox fans, we're getting really excited about Michael Kopech because Kopech is pitching well in AAA, and I think that he's doing everything that the White Sox have asked of him. What are your thoughts? Because obviously the White Sox are past service time, and I understand waiting to get that extra year of control. We just saw that in, with Atlanta with Ronald Acuna. Uh, but with Kopech, he's past that. Now it's trying to avoid Super 2 status. What are your thoughts about teams keeping prospects in the minors to avoid that Super 2 deadline that they're not going to officially know about, Dan, for at least a couple more years? Uh, I, I don't tend to like it because Super 2 isn't really as big a deal as, say, a whole extra year. Uh, there's a little more of a justification there. I mean, keeping Chris Bryant for a whole extra year, that you can say, hey, you know, that's that's pretty good for us. But say, oh, this way we can pay him a little less one season. It's just like, oh, uh, that's, that's, that's kind of a poor reason. The question is, is he ready or not? Uh, I, I, I do think that there's not any necessarily any huge hurry because he has, what, like 10 AAA starts total? I don't, and for a pitcher like him, who who is a, probably has a lot wide variety of pictures he can turn out to be. Uh, he always has one of the, he's had one of those interesting zips projections in which you look at the outcomes and it's it's very bimodal, which is kind of unusual. Normally you see some kind of not normal distribution, but you know kind of that same kind of scheme where it, there's more outcomes in the middle and fewer on the bottom and the top. But with Kopech. Uh, he has like a high probability of being a star or a high probability of being nothing and comparatively <laughs> few where he's just an okay picture, which, which, which just fascinates me. Uh, Tanner Scott on the Orioles is a lot like that, but Kopex is even more pronounced. Uh, I'm really excited to see what he could do in the majors. Uh, I don't necessarily think they have to bring him up right now, but I think eventually if – like let's say he gets his, his – his walk rate is still in the high threes. So he's not a guy who doesn't have anything left to learn in the minors. But if he starts bringing that down, then it gets even harder. Because the thing is, you want to challenge your talented young players. And the question is, has AAA gotten to the point where it's no longer a challenge for Kopech? And I don't think we've gotten to that point yet. So I think that's kind of the, the bridge you kind of cross where you have to bring up a player when you're no longer challenging them. And I don't think he's quite at that point yet. But I would like him. He'll, he should be up by about midseason, I would hope. Oh, yeah. I, I think June 5th because the White Sox do have a doubleheader against the Minnesota Twins and they can expand the roster to 26 guys. I mean, we've seen it be successful, like the Dodgers calling up Walker Bueller to start that 26, uh, to be that 26 guy to start one of the doubleheaders to get a taste. And then if you want to, you could still send him down. But I, I'm hoping that the White Sox do call up Michael Kopech because I, I understand as far as the walk rate that he can improve upon it. 
But watching his starts at AAA, Dan, I mean, there's yeah, he's terrific. Yeah, the, the AAA hitters can't touch 98, and we know that. There's a reason why they're in AAA and not in the Major League Baseball because they can't hit that type of high velocity. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see on how the White Sox handle that. Uh, you wrote a couple weeks ago about the players that were having breakout starts, and one of those players that you wrote about was Yoan Mikata. Of course, Mikata's on the DL. And if he does come back and he starts hitting as well as he did prior to going on the disabled list, there's a chance by the time we get to the all-star breakdown that Yoan Mikata could have the best wins above replacement in the American League for second baseman, which is that's that's quite the statement to make, but he's right up there already to the top. He's worth 1.4 wins above replacement before going on the DL. And I know a lot of fans point to, well, look at his strikeout rate. He strikes out far too much. Is the strikeout rate going to limit Mikata and his ability to ever hit his ceiling? When you say limit, yeah, on some level, it will probably limit how high his batting average can get. And, of course, batting average drives a lot of on-base percentage and slugging percentage. But I wouldn't be worried because, simply put, one, he's crushing the ball when he hits it. He's not just occasionally running into a pick. He's destroying whatever he hits. And and the thing is, when you're doing that, you're kind of incentivized to hit the ball as, as often as possible. Uh, uh, you, you, it's very easy. I think that young hitters probably get into more trouble when they go, say, the Ben Grieve, Jeremy Hermita route, in which they become too passive and only waiting for the perfect pitch. Now, Mankata, uh, he yeah, he has struck out a lot. His plate discipline numbers, however, aren't actually alarming for a guy with that many strikeouts. Uh, so I, I think the tools are there for him to improve somewhat in strikeout rate. I don't think he's ever going to be a low strikeout hitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, but 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 you, you look at his stats, uh, like say for contact. I mean, they're they're not amazing, but he's hitting a decent amount of pitches. He's still swinging at too many things. Well, he's still missing at too many things out of the zone. He actually swings less often at out of zone pitches than the average major leaguer does by a significant margin. Uh, so. He, he does understand what he has trouble with and what he doesn't. And that's a guy, I think, who will have some growth. Again, I don't think he's ever going to be Joe Sewell up there and never strike out. <laughs> uh, I mean, he's still going to strike out, you know, 160 times a year probably as he, as he improves. But if he has an 850 OPS and he's fielding well at second base, does, does anyone really care how many strikeouts he has? I mean, everybody strikes out in baseball. That's that's the game it is today. It's a strikeout game. Uh, I mean, it's it's not. We're not 1970, and and five strikeouts a game is a good is a good mark for a pitcher. Uh, well, this season, I mean, strikeouts are up almost another 10 percent from 2017. We're getting close to a strikeout an inning being average. It was like an 8.7 something last I checked, and that's not quite nine. But we're sneaking up on nine. Uh, you go back to, uh, say, the height of the, let's call it the silly ball era. Let's go to back to 2000. Strikeout r- rates were only about six and a half per nine innings. So we're up about 40% uh, in, in, in the last 18 years. Uh, so a strikeout rate like Makata's isn't really as, as shocking as it as is, is, excuse me, it's more shocking than it actually is. Are you concerned about that? Because there's been a lot of conversation about this throughout baseball, about the fact that for the first time in Major League Baseball history, that there are more strikeouts than hits in a month. Do you Are you concerned about this style of play, Dan? I think I am on some aesthetic level. 
Uh, it's hard to blame teams for going the way they are because it's the way you win games and teams have a lot of money invested in winning games. I think on some level, if you want strikeouts to be out of the game, you need to, you need to take, to actually do something a little more aggressive and say, hey, maybe we'll put some balls in a humidor, maybe. You need, if, if you really want to get, change the game and make it different, different in such a way that, no, we're not gonna, we're probably not gonna go back to, 1968 baseball or anything, but you might have to do a combination of both uh, shrinking the, both changing the strike zone, deadening the ball, and maybe talking about maybe lowering the mound. And there's even, you know, there's even dramatic things that are possible. I mean, 90 feet between bases. It wasn't like it was handed down from Moses by tap by by stone tablets from some baseball some mount mountain in Cooperstown. Maybe the maybe shortening the distance between the bases would be helpful because in that way you kind of incentivize putting a ball in play over hitting a home run if you have an easier time getting to first. I'm not saying they should do that, but really all options should be on the table if you really want to change how the game's played. Why can't the hitters change? Why can't the philosophy in the batter's box change where hitters, instead of selling out for power – Right and trying to maximize launch angle and exit velocity on every pitch thrown to them, why can't they make the adjustments and just try to put the ball in play? Well, they could, but the incentive in the way the game is currently designed is to reward those home run hitters. It's it's like saying, why do all games of Monopoly have to be people trying to get park place and boardwalk? And yeah, that's the game. That's those are the rules, and that's like you know the best strategy is you want to have park place and boardwalk and and maybe the green places. What are they? Pacific, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania Avenue. Uh, that that's the strategy of Monopoly. And if, and if you want to say, hey, we want a game where people want to get Mediterranean, Baltic, and Vermont and Oriental and Connecticut, is that the other kind of grayish one? Connecticut Avenue, maybe. Maybe I <laughs> I don't remember. Can we say Oriental Avenue? Or I I'm, I don't know. If, but anyway, uh, uh, if if you want a different game than Monopoly is, you would have to change the relative prices, the relative benefits of, of owning the properties, and you have to do that in baseball. Right now, that's how you win games. Uh, yeah, a, a player can choose to trade home runs and fewer strikeouts to hit more singles, but it's a worse strategy to win the game if you have the ability to do the more exciting thing of hitting home runs. Uh, so baseball, I think, would have to make physical changes to what makes games won. You have to change how games are won if you want to change the strategy to win those games. I agree with you. I was just playing devil's advocate. I think one of the big things is that defensively, teams have gotten very wise and shifting. So even if you're just trying to put the ball in play, Teams will catch up on your tendencies and they'll shift against you. And especially the major league level, you'll get yourself out more times than not. But I can understand where it's a lot more entertaining to see if the defense can make a play than a guy striking out and just walking back to the bench. I mean, that's, there's not a whole lot going on uh, in those few couple of seconds exchanging between hitters. Uh, before we talk about the rest of Major League Baseball, did you take the under? For the Vegas, for the over/under preseason win total for White Sox. Uh, I don't. I have to my bets. I don't think I actually took the White Sox for anything. All uh, right, I, I took the over on the <laughs> Orioles, which Uh-oh. is not looking good. <laughs> oh, no, the over on the Orioles is looking really, really bad. <laughs> well, 
I do want to talk about the Orioles in in one second. Uh, so take a look at the rest of Major League Baseball. Uh, well, well, we'll start with the Red Sox and Yankees. How about that in the American League East? Uh, both teams are off to a terrific start. The Red Sox have been surprising me. I, I thought they would finish third at the beginning of the year in the American League East. I was really worried about their starting pitching after Chris Sale, but Rick Porcillo is having a great start to the season, and Rookie Betts is having a terrific year, and everybody's sitting for that Red Sox team. And this Yankees team, I mean, they got off to a slow start, but their recent stretch in the last three weeks, I am more conf- I'm very confident in my World Series pick on picking them to win the World Series just because this team looks like a budding dynasty that's going to rule the American League for the next five years. Uh, for these two teams, though, at the moment, between the Red Sox and Yankees, and they just completed a series in the Bronx, which team do you like better, Dan? Uh, well, right now, I'll, I'll agree with Zips on this one. Zips has regularly thought that the Yankees had a roster about two games better a year than the Red Sox. Zips, Zips liked both teams. It has them both above like 96% to make the playoffs. So that's what makes it a wow. fun divisional race, because one of those teams is going to have to take the wild card sucker spot, uh, you know, the one game play in. Uh, but uh, I, I do think the Yankees are a little bit better. I think that they're deeper in a lot of ways. And really, I mean, as a fan of another team in the AL East, it, the team frightens me because they're not winning like past Yankees teams. They're not winning with like a bunch of veterans that they spent $250 million on. They're they're winning building from within to, to a very large degree. And you see, you know, Torres and Andahar and Judge and – uh, and Severino, it's 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 kind of scary what this team could do, how they could barely touch free agency in the next several seasons and still be a dominating team. Uh, so the Yankees frighten me a bit. I think they're a little bit better than the Red Sox. Uh, I think we're kind of in this in this weird way where Mike Trout isn't the obvious MVP, although he probably would be if the season ended today. But Betts has actually played in a Troutian level. <laughs> I like that. Troutian level. Troutian. Yeah, it's a good way of describing it because it is Trout and he's just on a whole nother level and everybody has to play up to that level. Uh, so that's a good way of putting it. Okay, so you, you spoke about free agency and that the Yankees may not need to touch free agency, but I have a feeling that they would go after Manny Machado in the offseason and try to convince him to play third base, even though they don't have to do that. Uh, I still think that they will just to build that ultimate team. But, I mean, I know this is a subject close to home for you, Dan. But with Manny Machado, the way that he's playing, and he's off to an awesome start this year, and the way that Baltimore, the rest of the team, is playing, I mean, there's no way that Manny Machado plays for the Orioles all season, right? I You see, all logic would dictate that. But, you know, you can't kind of apply logic to the Orioles. Uh, they're not all... It's it's probably it's definitely one of the bottom three front offices in baseball, uh, which isn't really good when you are a poor team to have a poor front office to go along with it and you know poor financials relatively speaking. Uh, I don't think that they even should have started the season with the team with with Machado on the team, but I think at this point, I mean, 2018's over for all intents and purposes. The Orioles shouldn't be doing anything that doesn't really help them for two, 2019 and beyond. Anything that only helps them this season is at this point pretty worthless. All they can do at this point is get their draft picks worse. There's no path in which they're going to have relevant baseball in September. 
there's no path where they can cobble together, say, a 450 team the rest of the way and bring people out to the stands. It's it's not happening. 2018 is over. It's dead. Uh, it's it's all the postcards have come back. It's 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 gone. The season is over. I'll ask you later about the American League Central and West next month when things settle and the Indians get a chance to play the White Sox uh, <laughs> to see where those two divisions. I mean, the Mariners, Angels, and the Houston Astros are off to a terrific start, and that's going to be a fun three-team race. But I want to ask you about the National League because this is bonkers where you have the Braves, the Phillies, the Cardinals, the Pirates, the Brewers, and the Diamondbacks. Either these six teams are leading the division or they are within a game of leading their respective divisions. Out of these six teams, Dan, who does Zips like? Well, Zips likes the Diamondbacks quite a bit now. Uh, it had them, I think, at 87 wins or it might be 85 coming into the season. So it didn't really hate them coming into the year. Uh, but you look at what Patrick Corbin's done. He's been on a whole different level. Uh Max Scherzer just passed him, but for most of the first month, he was the pitcher that had the worst contact rate against him for the whole season. Uh, I mean, he's been. A, I mean, he has 67 strikeouts. I think he's at like at like five hits per nine innings, which which will come up. But I think that Patrick Corbin establishing himself as a real ace kind of changes the whole complexion of that team because they're not really hitting all that well yet. Paul Goldschmidt doesn't is has like a 750 OPS right now. Uh, he, he's, he's not hitting yet. Uh, they pretty much have three guys on their, on their team hitting. And, and one of them is Daniel Descalso, which is kind of weird. Uh, so, uh, I, 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 I think Arizona is a pretty good team. And I think at this point, even if I think that, like, say they had played a million more games this year, I think the Dodgers would win more games than the Diamondbacks the rest of the way. But that margin is small and it's not enough to make up an eight game gap, which is where it is right now. Uh, so you have to like where Arizona is a lot. Uh, St. Louis, I've always liked St. Louis. I've talked them up, so I'm not super surprised they're doing well. I mean, not I didn't think they were better than the Cubs, but they have been very early. Uh, and in the East, I'm happy to see the Braves and Phillies doing what they're doing because I talked a lot about how they were the two teams that were most close to coming to the end of their rebuilding. And to have them actually look like they're doing that, uh, I – People like being right, and I like looking like I'm not an idiot, so I'm happy to see that. <laughs> it's a natural human thing. Nobody likes looking stupid. Right. Well, the Dodgers are in a world of hurt, and you mentioned as far as the Diamondbacks, and Zips really likes the Diamondbacks, and you highlighted areas that the Diamondbacks are not hitting on all cylinders, like Paul Goldschmidt's not off to a terrific start. But the Dodgers are in a world of hurt. With Corey Seager out for the rest of the year, we're still waiting to hear when Justin Turner will join the Dodgers. I mean, the Dodgers are just a couple games ahead of the San Diego Padres, and that is a battle for last place. Yeah, that is the, that is the badge of infamy when you're just ahead of the Padres, uh, who really have no clue. But I mean... Where they are now, I mean, Seager's out for the year. That takes a pretty good hit to their bottom line, wins the rest of the way. Uh, they haven't had Puig healthy and playing well this season. They, of course, have had no Justin Turner. And so they've had some things go right, like Matt Kemp being a major leaguer again so far, which is almost shocking. Mm -hmm. uh, but, I mean, it's still a team that you can see the path for them getting it mostly together and, and say, winning on an 88-game pace than – 88 win pace the rest of the year. It's just the problem is that gets you the wild card at this point. 
Because I know I always talk about early on, I always use the me versus uh, Usain Bolt in a race. There's always uh, a point at which I can beat him in a race if you give me enough of a head start. Right. Uh, now, obviously, the difference between the Dimebacks and Dodgers is smaller than me and Usain Bolt. But it's the same kind of concept, that the Dodgers are in a lot of trouble because even if they're a very good team still, they're still – have, they're still against the tide. They still have dug themselves such a hole. You can lose a division in April. Do they have to make a move like acquiring Manny Machado? I don't. I don't necessarily think so. I think the problem with the Dodgers is what they've already done. I don't think they're. They don't. I don't think they have any severe problem going forward. Obviously, you would like them to see Machado. That improves the team. But the problem is they're just a limit to how good they can be and catch up to Arizona. Uh, they're going to probably have to win 95 games to catch Arizona. And to win 95 games at this point, they need to go like 71 and 40, which is pretty hard to do. Or excuse me, 80. And I can't add for some reason. Like they go like 80. They have, to play, they have to win like two-thirds of their games the rest of the season to win 95. Uh, so that, that, that's, that's a pretty tough haul. You, you want to get Machado to do that. But the question is, if Machado isn't even enough mm-hmm. uh, to, to really – give yourself a huge shot, then do you really want to give the Orioles whatever they want? Because the Orioles are not in a position where they're going to let Machado go. They they still have kind of a diluted view of how much they're going to get for Machado. Uh, so I, 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 I don't know if there's that necessarily a matchup between the Dodgers and the Orioles. I suspect that if Machado's traded, and he should be traded, but if he is, I, I almost think it's going to be some last-minute July deadline trade where he goes for like almost nothing and like some marginal major leaguer that the Orioles think helps them in 2019. Uh, but that, that would be too late probably to help the Dodgers. Hmm. Well, just curious, what does Zips think is the most likely World Series matchup at the moment? Uh, at the moment, Zips has it as, uh, let's open this, as Cleveland and Arizona. Cleveland? But here's the, but remember, Cleveland, what, what helps Cleveland is they still have, even with the struggling start, is they still have the best route to the playoffs and the division of pretty much any team in baseball. And that's huge because the loser of the Yankees-Red Sox, it doesn't matter if they each win 100 games. One of those two teams is going to have to go in via the wild card. Uh, it's the same in the AL West. The Astros are probably the favorites, but the Angels have a really good shot too. And the Mariners are still, if they can cobble enough pitching together to, to make it interesting. Uh, so having a division where the Indians, they could, they could win 87 games and probably take the division. And that, that's huge. Right now, at this point of the season, your, your World Series odds are very close to being determined by your, by your divisional odds. Cause, you know, you, you lose half your odds, just use half the probability just by being the wild card team rather than winning the division. So Cleveland and Arizona right now are the favorite. That's fascinating. We'll see if that holds true. I the Indians are going to be making a run. I said favorites, not guarantees. Same thing. <laughs> Probability. <laughs> no, they're not. Don't don't listen to Josh. Anyone who's listening, stop listening to Josh. <laughs> I'm kidding, of course, because the Indians are going to go on a run again. They have yet to face the White Sox, and uh, that's coming up after Memorial Day. So I'm sure the Indians will get those wins that they need to easily win the American League Central. You can follow Dan on Twitter. He's at DZaborski. And as always, read Dan's excellent work on ESPN.com. Dan, as always, an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. And hopefully next time we talk, uh, the White Sox are playing better. 
Well, not too much better. You, you still want that number one pick. <laughs> of course. Of course. Well, How could I forget? A little better. Anyway, thanks for having me as always, Josh, and you have a good one. We also like to thank RX Bar. RX Bar is a whole food protein bar. What does that mean? Their bars are made with 100% whole ingredients, and they want to be transparent and upfront with their customers, which is why RX Bar labels the core ingredients like egg whites, dates, and nuts on the front of the package and the ingredients that make up the texture and taste on the back. Beyond being a go-to snack that checks off a number of nutritional boxes, RX Bars actually taste delicious. I'm a huge fan of their blueberry flavors and their chocolate sea salts. Great for snacks, especially when my sweet tooth kicks in during the workday. And even better is that RX Bars do come in 11 delicious flavor varieties. As I mentioned, blueberry and chocolate sea salt are two of my favorites. But on May 14th, there's going to be three new flavors. Mango pineapple, peanut butter and berries, and chocolate hazelnut. Also starting on May 21st, RX Bar will be introducing RX Nut Butter. Made with the same core ingredients as RX Bar protein bars, the new nut butters include a base of nuts, peanuts or almonds, egg whites, and dates. And the flavors are honey, cinnamon, peanut butter, peanut butter, and vanilla almond butter. For 25% off your first order, visit rxbar.com slash socks and enter promo code socks at checkout. Now it's time for this week's minor league report. The Charlotte Knights walked off the Durham Bulls on Sunday 3-2 and now are 15-21 on the season. The Knights are still six and a half games behind the Durham Bulls for first place. And what doesn't help is Michael Kopech struggling in his last two starts, especially Friday night. He only lasted three and one-third innings, allowing eight earned runs on five hits while walking four and striking out six. That's now back-to-back starts for Kopech not making it past a fourth inning. So hopefully this is just a bump in the road and Kopech can make some adjustments to get himself back on track. Other notables are Dylan Covey has a 2.76 ERA in six starts in 2018, and Tiago Vera has three consecutive scoreless, hitless, and walkless outings. Hopefully, he can continue that pace and get himself to Chicago. Speaking of promotions, Jordan Stevens received the call-up to Charlotte as Matt Tamashaw was sent back down to Birmingham. Stevens was 4-3 with a 2.95 ERA and 7 starts this year with the Birmingham Barons, posting 40 strikeouts to 12 walks. The Barons are 18-19 on the year as they continue to dance around 500. Eloy Jimenez had his 15-game hitting streak snapped on Saturday, but came back on Sunday with a 3-4 day, and now he's batting 333 with a 358 on base percentage and slugging 636 and 99 at bats. Sebi Zavala still leads the Southern League in home runs with nine, but he's on a cold streak. In his last 10 games, Zavala's hitting six for 40. Meanwhile, Zach Collins in his last 10 games is eight for 31 with 12 walks and 12 strikeouts. That stance adjustment continues to work well for him. The Winston-Salem Dash are 21 and 16 as they are one game behind the Booz Creek Astros. Blake Rutherford is starting to hit for home run power as he has three in his last 10 games. Mike Rodolfo hasn't hit a home run in his last 10 games, but he is 10 for 35 with nine walks to just eight strikeouts, which is a great sign with his better improved plate discipline. 
The Canapolis Intimidators are tied for first place with a 24-12 record. Start paying attention to shortstop Laz Rivera. Selected in the 28th round of last year's draft, Rivera is hitting 18 for 41 in his last 10 games with two homers and seven runs batted in. On the season, Rivera is hitting 361 with an on-base percentage of 401 and slugging 511. Outfielder Luis Gonzalez is back from injury, which is a great sign to see. And the Intimidators can pitch. As a team, they have an ERA of 2.73. That will do it for this week's Minor League Report. Now on to P.O. Sox. You've stuffed our mailbox all week with questions from your tweets and Facebook posts. Now to cure your curiosity on the White Sox, here is P.O. Sox. Thanks, Rob. And yes, this is our favorite part of the show where you, the fans and listeners, get to ask the questions. It's P.O. Sox, where you submitted your questions to us via Twitter by tweeting your questions to us at Sox Machine or posting your questions on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Sox Machine or supporting the podcast by becoming a friend of the podcast on patreon.com slash machine. And again, with Jim out, I will go ahead and try to answer your guys' questions this week. Some of these are going to be really quick because we got a lot of questions via Twitter, and we'll start with those. The first question comes from Stryker, and Stryker's asking, how does the White Sox record impact their decision to trade Abreu or to add in the offseason? Would they add a superstar like Manny Machado or Bryce Harper to a 100-loss team? Would trading Abreu be counterproductive if you were going to add a superstar? Well, Stryker, there's quite a bit to tackle here as far as in this question. So let's start off with, should the White Sox trade Jose Abreu? And the answer to that question is, yes, if there is a deal that Rick Hahn cannot refuse something like two top 100 prospects in exchange for Jose Abreu in a way and no team probably thinks like this but for Jose Abreu who recently just went on record that he wants to spend the rest of his playing career with the Chicago White Sox again you got to love that as a fan but if there's a team that has a major injury at first base and they need some help, or if you're like the New York Yankees where first base is still a question mark and you really can't trust Greg Bird to be healthy and man that position, would it make sense to add a Jose Abreu and could Abreu help that Yankees lineup get over the hump if they continue to struggle at first base at that position? I'm just using this as a hypothetical. If a team were to approach Rick Hahn and make him a terrific offer for Jose Abreu, yes, the White Sox should entertain that. And yes, the White Sox should trade Jose Abreu. Now, if the White Sox were still serious about signing a mega superstar, again, mega superstar, there's been too many conversations on Twitter on what merits being a superstar in Major League Baseball. I'm sorry, Bryce Harper and Chris Bryant are superstars. But regardless, if you want the White Sox to go after Manny Machado and Bryce Harper, I'm sure it helps to have a proven and established player like Jose Abreu on the roster. So maybe it would hurt the White Sox chances of signing a Machado or Harper. What hurts their chances even more is one, a unwillingness to spend 
a lot of money in free agency to sign a player like Machado or Harper. And two, if you're Machado or Harper, I mean, look at the team that Manny Machado's playing for right now, the Baltimore Orioles. They're not that much better than the Chicago White Sox at the moment. Do you want to sign with a team that's not going to be a contender in 2019? No, I think for those two players, they can get the best of both worlds. They can sign for a lot of money to a team that is going to be a contender to win the World Series as soon as 2019. So I think for the White Sox, if they want to be serious players in free agency, maybe it makes sense to keep Jose Abreu because in that way, those players who are free agents feel a little bit more comfortable that there is an established veteran like Jose Abreu on the roster. However, if July comes around and we are still at rock bottom for the Chicago White Sox, then if a team approaches Jose Abreu and makes an offer that Rick Hahn could not refuse, Rick Hahn cannot refuse that and he's got to pull the trigger. And as heartbreaking as it would be that perhaps it would be smart for the White Sox to trade Jose Abreu. Our next question comes from Simeon, and Simeon is asking on Twitter, should the White Sox revisit trading Abreu this deadline? Just went over that. Yes. Gukis Liagito. Gukis is asking, at what point should the White Sox look at their bullpen and say players like Chris Volstead, Aaron Bummer, and Chris Beck aren't working out? When do you bring up players like Tiago Vera, Jean-Marc Gomez, or Tyler Danish, or even Ian Hamilton, or Ryan Burr, to see what they could potentially be bullpen arms? And Gukas, you make a good point. And I mentioned as far as Tiago Vera in the minor league report, it's only three straight outings, but it's been very impressive three outings for Vieira. I think if he continues to do that and he has a good two to three week stretch, then it would make sense. I could see Dylan Covey possibly being called up from the Charlotte Knights to help out in the White Sox, either in the rotation or be a lawn man out of the bullpen. Uh, I don't think we need to see Chris Beck anymore pitch for the White Sox. I agree with you on that. And the same thing uh, with Chris Volstead. And Jean-Marc Gomez is a veteran guy, and I thought he had a good enough spring to make the 25-man roster. Instead, he didn't, and he's been with the Charlotte Knights. So, yeah, I could see some exchanging back and forth, but I'm still a little bit unsure if these guys are going to be permanent fixtures in the bullpen, if that makes sense. Our next question on Twitter comes from Sox Nation, and Sox Nation is asking, how long do you expect Rick Renteria to stay around, and is Joe Girardi an option for the future? Second part first, yes, I think Joe Girardi is an option for any ball club if they're looking for a manager starting as soon as next year. And how long do I expect Rick Renteria to stick around? How long did Robin Ventura stay around? Five years? Okay. Rick Renteria is going to at least stick around for five years. I, I don't see Rick Khan pulling the trigger that quickly and swapping out Rick Renteria for Joe Girardi, especially for how long he stuck around or how long Robin Ventura stuck around with the White Sox. Our next question comes from John Carney, and John Carney's asking, you don't draft for need, but does Jake Berger's injury have any impact whatsoever on who the White Sox may be looking at in the draft? And John, I don't know if Jake Berger's injury has any impact, but let's say if the White Sox are truly high on Alec Baum, the third baseman from Wichita State, and I know it'd be weird to go back-to-back drafts, selecting a third baseman in the first round. But with Jake Berger re-injuring that Achilles, and again, he's not going to get, he's probably not going to see any playing time in 2019 in the first half of the minor leagues. So he's really set back. 
if the White Sox were to draft an Alec Baum, I think you have to have those two compete for that future spot at third base. And if Berger's lateral movement is severely impacted because of this injury, then you got to think about moving him to first base, which was always a question in scouts in the back of their minds. Is is Berger a third baseman or is he a future first baseman? So we'll see on how Jake Berger recovers from the injury. Again, he's lost that 10 weeks of rehab and he's got to start completely over. But if pick four comes around and if the White Sox say that Alec Baum is the top guy on our list, then the White Sox should take Alec Baum if they feel that strongly that he's the best player available on the board. I like Jonathan India better from Florida than Alec Baum, and he could play third base, but there are some that think he has the athleticism to play shortstop and second base. But again, it's up to the White Sox, and if they believe Alec Baum is the best player in the draft, they got to take him regardless of what position that he plays. Liam is asking, would Carson Fulmer be more effective if he pitched left-handed? <laughs> no. No, I know he hasn't been very effective. We'll see what kind of adjustments that they'll make. Uh, Manager Rick Renteria said they saw something on video that they want Fulmer to work on over the week. Uh, so we'll see on how Fulmer uh, performs at his next outing. Russell the K-9 is asking, will Ian Hamilton be in the minors all year regardless of his level of dominance? And is he a potential closer of the future? Well, I don't know about potential closer of the future because the White Sox seem to have a lot of options at this moment on who could be a potential closer of the future. Zach Birdie, uh, maybe Carson Fulmer, if you don't think he could be a starting pitcher. Maybe Dylan Cease, if you're unsure that he could last consistently in the sixth and seventh inning as starting pitchers. Uh, but what I do know is that Ian Hamilton loves to pitch out of the bullpen. If you remember my piece out of Birmingham, he prefer he prefers to pitch out of the bullpen. They really made a pitch adjustment with his fastball. He's not throwing a two-seamer anymore uh, where he wasn't getting a lot of tail at all with that pitch. And instead, he converted over to a four-seamer because it pairs nicely with his slider. When I was in Birmingham, and looking over the shoulder, the guy who runs Trackman for the Birmingham Barons, I was consistently seeing Ian Hamilton hitting 96, 97 mile per hour on the fastball, and his slider was 89, 90 miles per hour, and it was very impressive. Will he get to Chicago? We'll see. Uh, but for sure, Charlotte, especially if the White Sox are going to have this bullpen carousel between Chicago and Charlotte. Hank is asking, when can we expect an Eli Jimenez promotion and what do you think the corresponding move will be? Well, if it's to Charlotte, we talked a little bit about that on Sox Machine Live in the last episode that we had that on Wednesday. Uh, We think it's going to be probably before Memorial Day weekend and a corresponding move, uh, injuries. They happen all the time. I'm not quite sure. I don't think they're about ready to cut an outfielder like Charlie Tilson or Jacob May. Uh, But if anybody does get hurt in the outfield for the Charlotte Knights, let's say a Tilson or Jacob May, uh, then yeah, I could see him as being called up to Charlotte. Salt Grinder is asking, how bright of a spot is Yomer Sanchez in this otherwise dour start to a season? And Yomer, man, you know, I've always liked Yomer Sanchez. I thought he could be a league average second baseman. And I've been so impressed on how well that he's handling third base And I'm using it as a joke, but he is an RBI machine. He's that kind of guy that you want at the plate right now for the White Sox when there's a runner uh, in scoring position, second or third base. He's been coming through for the White Sox, and he's been very consistent. 
And I don't know if Yomer Sanchez is going to have a starting role if this team is going to be a contender in 2020 or 2021. But I know Yomer Sanchez will be on the 25-man roster because he is showing how valuable he is, especially with the position flexibility. With Yoan Mikata being on the DL, good news. It sounds like Yoan Mikata is coming off the disabled list and will be in the lineup when the White Sox take on Pittsburgh this week for that mini two-game series. Uh, but I really like Yomer Sanchez. I've always liked Yomer Sanchez, especially defensively and offensively. It seems that he's really getting some things figured out. I don't think he's an all-star. I don't think he's ever going to be an above-average starting third baseman because he just doesn't hit for a lot of power. But he's a productive major leaguer. And I'll tell you what, looking at this White Sox 25-man roster, they don't have a lot of those. So they must definitely have to keep Yomer Sanchez around. Winston-Salem 27 Yankees. Uh, I don't think they win the same dash on the same level as the 1927 Yankees. But anyways, they're asking when Luis Robert comes back, who goes to Birmingham? Alex Call and Joel Booker are the oldest for the league and probably need to prove it at double A soon. But Masabe's repeating and seems ready. And does Fisher or Polo move to Charlotte? Okay, so there's a lot of moving pieces in this question. It is an excellent question on what how the White Sox are going to handle this when Luis Robert does get called up. I don't know if you necessarily call up Alex Call or Joel Booker just because they're the oldest for the league and maybe they need to get more proven time in double A. I could see them doing that, but I would rather have them call up Luis Basabe just because he is repeating the level. It seems that he has figured some things out at this level and it's time to give him a challenge. And if Poto, if Polo or Fisher make it to Charlotte, which right now I'm not very confident that either guy will. I think you got to call up Eloy Jimenez to Charlotte before Polo or Fisher. Uh, but if they do get called up again, I think it's going to be because of injury, not because based on merit. I think both of those players still have some things to work on in double A. And our next question on Twitter from Rex Fearmere. Rex is asking, what can we expect Carlos Rodon to return to the starting rotation? Uh, it will be after May 28th because again he was removed on he was moved off the 40 man roster because he was on the 60 day DL and he can be put back on the 40 man roster after May 28th and it sounds like that he's going to have a couple of rehab starts. What he went through last year was he made a rehab start with Canapolis and then he made a rehab start I think two rehab starts with the Winston Salem Dash and then one with the Charlotte Knights. They will not have him in Birmingham because he lives in North Carolina. It'd be just better off having him stay close in that area where you're limiting travel for these rehab starts as he pretty much just goes through spring training. So I think we'll see him with Canapolis for a start, a start with Winston-Salem, and maybe a start or two in Charlotte before he's with the Chicago White Sox. And again, the White Sox have a double header on June 5th against the Minnesota Twins at Minnesota. So that could be a good target date on when White Sox fans could see Carlos Rodon back with the White Sox. Terrific questions this week from everybody for P.O. Sox as I went a little trigger happy on the amount of questions as I went more with the rapid fire style. But if you have a question for a future episode or a topic that you would like us to tackle on the podcast again follow us on twitter we're at socks machine like our facebook page at facebook.com slash socks machine and you can help also support the show by becoming a friend of the podcast we're up to 176 supporters on patreon this is amazing guys thank you so much 
for your support and what we do for our supporters on Patreon. We give you guys more content every single week. We answer more questions for you guys. We give you the ability to ask questions to our podcast guests. We'll be giving you more draft content as we approach June 4th. And again, remember, we will be having a live stream show covering the first two rounds on June 4th of the Major League Baseball draft and we'll be giving you more interviews and more insights from some of the top draft experts as well about these prospects on patreon.com slash machine. So if you listen to the show and you read our stuff on SoxMachine.com and you would like to get more from us, go to patreon.com slash machine and sign up to become a friend of the podcast today. I'd like to thank our guest Dan Zaborski for joining us as that that will do it for this edition of the Sox Machine Podcast. If you just discovered the podcast, you can can listen to us in a variety of ways. One is through iTunes by going to the iTunes store and searching Sox Machine. And if you do listen to us there, please give us a review. Love to receive your feedback. You can also listen to us on Spotify by going to Spotify, search Sox Machine and follow us there to get the newest episodes. We're in the Google Play Music Store for the Android smartphone users. We're always on audioboom.com slash Sox Machine. The Sox Machine podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. When you rely on the internet for everything, you need speed that can handle anything. Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible X-Fi gateway. Actual speeds vary, not guaranteed. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.